Oh man, I just love it out here on this uh, fishing boat. Hey buddy boy, throw me that anchor so we can uh, put the boat right here. Uh, this is going to be a good spot for us to do some fishing. Yeehaw! Hey, speaking of anchors, by the way, if you guys want to make an amazing podcast, all you got to do is download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Yeehaw! Hey, buddy, give me a beer so I can drink this. With a, ho, 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 this is some good stuff here. Yeehaw! Hello and welcome to an amazing episode of Pitching Popcorn with Brent and Tori. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone! Hello and welcome to another amazing episode of Pitching Popcorn with my great friend Tori. And uh, Tori, how are you doing today? Hey Brent, I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. Well, man, where, wherever you're at, it looks beautiful. Um, where is it snowing right now? Um, well, uh, I'm gonna be honest because the truth is more fun. Um, I am on, I'm not in Jackson, Michigan recording where I normally am. I'm actually in Durham, North Carolina um, on a work trip. So I'm in the oh, south man. where it's surprisingly, surprisingly to me, very hot. Um, so <laughs> I left my winter coat at home in Michigan and I thought I was like uh, getting away with something. And then I got here and um, I'm actually overdressed and like sweating. I've been oh, sweating my goodness. The two days I've been here. So, yeah, oh, wow. um, fun. It's it's cool that we get to record this remotely because we can be both be where, our, you know, wherever we are in the in the world and still still be able to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I'm, even though I'm actually in Texarkana at my house, I thought this background picture would uh, be a good uh, reference for, uh, we can just imagine I've got the hot coffee brewing, the, the cookies, chocolate chip cookies there, a couple of books to read. And yeah. then it's, uh, it's got like kind of a light rain outside. I feel mm -hmm. like I'm in Dublin. Yeah. In our, in our hearts, we're both in Ireland tonight, right? That's right. That's right. And I understand you've been to Ireland before. Yeah, it's, I think, one of the best vacations I've ever had. Um, it was back in 2015. I went uh, with my cousin and our aunt, and we flew into Dublin, and we uh, rented a car. Uh, I rent, we rented a car with the steering wheel on the right side, uh, which was very jarring. Um, and I actually did bust a tire, but that's a story for another day. And um, <laughs> uh, we rented a car and then drove uh, around the peripheral of the country. Um, so we got to do Dublin. Um, and then the east side went up to Donegal and um, Derry, and then um, over to Galway and, and down to Cork and then back to Dublin. So very cool um, trip um, that I got to do. Um, and yeah, very grateful to the experience. My family's Irish. We're like super into it. Um, so it was really cool to see everything, like see it in real life. All these things I had kind of heard about and seen uh, my whole life. Absolutely. And um, I saw um, here recently, um, your mom liked one of the uh, promos that I did on Facebook. And yeah. at least I, it is your mom, right? Rosie is your mom. Oh yeah, my right? mom's, okay. mom's my biggest fan. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> And uh, well, um, I made a I made an assumption there. I, I I'm usually right with those assumptions, but sometimes yeah. I'm wrong. And but well, anyway. wait. Well, actually, this is a great segue. My middle name is Rose, named after my mom, and your middle name is what? Patrick, after St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? 
that's cool. And yeah. your birthday's coming up, right? My birthday is coming up. It's going to be on the 14th. And so um, I was actually named after a town uh, between Little Rock, Arkansas and Enterprise, Alabama. That's my first and my last name. And then my middle name is because of St. Patrick's Day on the 17th. So very cool. And that's awesome. um, yeah, that's really awesome. Well, I'm glad that uh, you have your mom's, uh, was it called namesake? Is that what they call it? I think I, I am her namesake, yes. Namesake, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um, I have um, uh, my, I have three daughters and Lillian is actually named after her great-grandmother and yeah. Callie, so her, her real name is Caledonia and she goes by Callie, but there was a Callie on one side of the family and a Caledonia on the other side of the family. And then Madison is named after, being that my wife, Melissa, is from Wisconsin, hmm. we chose Madison because there's a Madison, Wisconsin. And her middle name is Catalea, which is a beautiful orchid out of Costa Rica, which is where Melissa and I had our honeymoon. And so, but if you, if you put all the names together, um, what's interesting about that is that all of the names have a flower theme to them. There's a lily, hmm. a calla lily, and a Catalea. Cool. And yeah. And then, so when I was growing up, the thing that got me into having different names for different things, um, I remember I used to collect uh, different rocks and things like that. And so I've had a lot of uh, cats and dogs in my life. And every pet that I've had has had a name after a gem, a G-E-M mm -hmm. type stone, right? So there was topaz and onyx and sapphire and jade, right? And so um, all of my pets have uh, those uh, theme names to them. If I had a choice with, uh, you know, coming up with the name. Yeah. <laughs> my family dog's name is Pearl. No kidding. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Um, and then, um, so, and then an interesting fact, uh, my wife, uh, Melissa and I, we actually met on eHarmony. Uh, but one of the cool things, you know, it's like we we always wonder about these things that happen with fate and different things like that. And I had um, I had a, uh, a cat named Topaz and she was going to name her cat Topaz. Oh. But uh, at the time she was dating someone and they named it um, Leonidas after the movie 300. And Leo, we call him Leo, um, but it was the. Leo was given to her for her birthday before I knew her. Yeah. And then, but, but when we met on eHarmony, she had another cat named Sapphire and I used to have a cat named Sapphire. Whoa, and so it's so just cool. like, you know, and then, uh, so it just makes me feel like, you know, with, like with us, uh, we have all these similarities, you know, uh, the, the St. Patrick's day, a lot of the things that I've noticed that, that we have, and it just makes me yeah. feel like that doing this podcast was meant to be, um, and, uh, and I hear yeah. that, uh, something kind of cool happened today at the office. Um, somebody important noticed about our, you know, said something maybe that they liked our podcast. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Our, our boss said that, uh, she liked our podcast, which is pretty cool. That's pretty awesome, man. Yeah. And it's not only the boss. I mean, it's the boss boss, right? Yeah. The big boss. The big cheese, right? Yeah. I yeah. couldn't believe it. And I found out, I remember seeing something, I don't know if you saw this, but I saw where her, um, one of her favorite movies, <clears throat> she mentioned one time, is called Big Trouble in Little China. Have you seen that one? 
I haven't. Ever, no. Have you heard of it? Mm-mm. Okay. Uh, so it's a it's a Kurt Russell uh, movie, and it's back in the in the eighties time frame. But I remember that movie, uh, such a great movie, and uh, I would love he to have the so opportunity. many good movies. Oh yeah, man! There's just an amazing amount of movies. Um, well, today's episode, everybody, is something that uh, I know Tori has been looking forward to because yeah. of the the history and the and the family love for St. Patrick's Day. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about? Can you expand a little bit more about uh, your Irish heritage, or you know uh, how that how that goes along? What's the story for uh, why is St. Patrick's Day so important to you and your family? Oh, uh, great question. Brent, glad you asked. Um, I don't have anything prepared. For, I feel like I should have written a speech for this. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know. I think that um, kind of the cele- celebrating your cultural heritage is really important to everyone, I think. And, um, you know, especially as Americans, I think kind of your family history um, ev- evolves a lot. However, your family came to come here. Um, but for my family, I mean, you know, like many people have a lot of different um, uh ethnicities represented historically, but we're predominantly Irish. And um, so it's just been something that we've kind of leaned into, especially like my extended family. Um, I have a lot of cousins, I have like 50 cousins um, because we're Irish. And um, <laughs> and um, so it's kind of been a cool way to like embrace, um, you know, just things that are associated with, with Irish culture. Like, you know, they're notoriously like, I mean, bad thing, I guess, is good, you know, good, they know how to throw a party, um, but they also really appreciate beauty and art and poetry and storytelling. Um, and so those are things that, like, you know, I think, you know, collectively, um, that I think my, my family has also tried to embrace and pursue too. Um, and then just even appre- appreciating the history of Ireland. Um, like, I, I have a, I'm a, a big fan of learning about, like, you know, divisions between the North and South, um, and then even learning, you know, uh, the American immigrant story, um, generally as it applies to everyone, but then there's kind of like a specific story of the Irish immigrant and how they come, have come over here historically. Um, and so kind of like learning about that and kind of embracing and identifying the struggles of that. And then even just learning like my own family history. Um, like, I mean, my last name is Crowley and, um, all the Crowleys came from Cork in Ireland. And um, so like anyone that you meet anywhere in the world, like they originated from that city in Ireland. So it's kind of cool to, to know that about my family and kind of celebrate that. Um, and then you can like, like e- even in the family history research that we've done, like family came over, they were laborers um, over in Ireland and then kind of like, you know, this the story that we tell ourselves of the American dream of like, you know, they came over, first guy came over and he was a laborer in America and his son was a farmer and then his son was a butcher and then his son owned a meat market. And so like, you know, it's kind of cool to see the progression and be able to celebrate that and kind of work that into our own identities as individuals, you know, however we, however we choose to. Um, And I think that's really special to be able to have that and have that like as an individual, but then also share that within your family and then also share that like within a a greater culture. Um, So I think, you know, that's why it's important to me. Um, (laughs) And just as someone who loves movies, um, there are like, I mean, we'll, we'll discuss several of them today, but there are so many movies that kind of uh, either like explicitly seek to tell those stories or even just, um, you know, indirectly kind of tell those. Um, And so 
you know, I, I like to, to be able to identify those those stories in movies too. Wow. What an amazing, I know I kind of caught you off guard on that, but what an amazing story. And I appreciate you sharing that. And it's so neat that you, that you talked about some of those things about the, uh, the culture. Um, and, um, but um, what, what's so cool about what you were saying there is that it really has so much, it's, it's just a such, such a great segue into my first selection uh, because of some of the things you said, just really, it, I mean, it just, it's a, exactly what my first selection is about. Um, and b before I jump into that, um, I just want to do a little history on St. Patrick's Day. Um, okay, as we know, it's an Irish holiday um, honoring the missionary credited with converting the Irish to Christianity in the fifth century AD. And St. Patrick was born in either Scotland or in Roman Britain. Uh, he was kidnapped at the age of 16 by pirates, and he was sold into slavery in Ireland. And during his six-year captivity, he began to have religious visions, and he found strength in his faith. And so he escaped. He went to France, where he became a priest, uh, taking on the name Patrick, actually, right? Um, and when he was about 60 years old, St. Patrick traveled to Ireland to spread the Christian word. And he used the shamrock, which resembles a three-leaf clover, as a metaphor to explain the concept of the Holy Trinity. And the color green is associated with St. Patrick's Day because it is the color of spring, Ireland, and the shamrock. And I was going to do this in an Irish accent, but I don't think my Irish accent was as good as I kind of did kind of a practice on it. And I don't know if it would have been... Um, uh, you know, I can try it here in a little bit if you want me to. But again, today, in honor of our St. Patrick's Day episode, Tori and I are going to talk about four movies that we really feel we're gonna we're gonna get you into the holiday spirit. All right. That's right. And so my first selection is called Gangs of New York. Now, Gangs of New York is an American story, but it's a tale of a personal vendetta. Okay. As a family legacy set against the historical background of feuds in New York City in 1863. And at the center of the story is a, a guy by the name of Amsterdam Vallon. And he has returned to five, the Five Points neighborhood of Lower Manhattan after he grew up in an asylum. And so he was actually orphaned after his father, Irish immigrant priest Vallon, was murdered by his arch rival, nativist Bill the Butcher Cutting, in a brutal fight that determined the social order in five points. And with the loss of their leader, the immigrants, they had to submit to the nativists. And as a result, Cutting rules five points, and he exploits people and businesses like a mafia boss, okay? And Amsterdam actually becomes an apprentice to Cutting, now, Bill is a butcher by trade as well as by reputation, and he uses his knives to terrify everyone. Now, one clear element of the movie is the acceptance of violence as a means to reach a goal. And like in war, you immediately realize that many are gonna die without experiencing any feeling of empathy or mercy. 
Now, Gangs of New York was nominated for 11 Academy Awards, and the director, Martin Scorsese, wanted to suggest the completions of action in the editing. And so you actually, you never see a knife going into someone mm. in, the, in the movie. And so violence is a part of everyday life in this world, but Scorsese, he didn't want to dwell on it. He wanted to imply it with the camera speed. And so there's a character uh, by the name of Jenny Everdeen, played by Cameron Diaz, and she represents someone taking the crime outside of Five Points, showing what the underworld would later become in the 1860s, the 1870s, and the 1890s. Mm -hmm. And so she is actually the start of the confidence man, or the con man, as, as <laughs> it's abbreviated, right? And so blood is powerful. I didn't know that was short for confidence, man. That's interesting. Did you not? No. Yeah, it's, it's, it's because they have to have this confidence to be able to pull off the mm -hmm. con, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, and, and what we find here in this film is that blood is a powerful, sustained metaphor in Gangs of New York. And one of the first images in the film is when Priest Valen, um, he's drawing blood on his cheek uh, with his shaving razor before the mm -hmm. fight. And so Bill the Butcher, um, he's wearing this blood-soaked apron and he's got his knife in hand. And um, he actually instructs Amsterdam how pigs' bodies are so like those of men that one slaughters, both in the same way. And by the film's end, all of the lead characters, including Jenny, uh, which again, she's actually the pickpocket lover of not only cutting but also Amsterdam, right? Mm -hmm. um, and but by the film's end, um, everybody is is bloodied up, and the mob uh, the mob murders innocent people in in the bloodlust of the draft riots. And now, although the film presents blood itself as a sign of the similarity of all persons, the film also shows that blood as a symbol of narrow ethnic consciousness. Hmm. Gangs of New York closes with an image of the contemporary New York skyline, but which includes the towers of the World Trade Center. An intelligent, meticulous filmmaker, Scorsese, no doubt intended that inclusion, mm -hmm. perhaps to lead the audience with a reminder of New Yorkers' moving display of civic unity and common cause after the terrorist attack on the city. Gains of New York presents such violence and strife and then closes with a certain quiet and the prospect of unity. The principles of Abraham Lincoln, which are those of the patriots of the Declaration of Independence, illuminate the American unity suggested by Scorsese. That unity is American citizenship for which Americans made war, but which is the only basis for a just and lasting peace among all Americans native mm -hmm. and immigrant. And so um, I know we talked a little bit about, I know you've seen this movie. Mm -hmm. um, what did you think? What were your thoughts about the movie? Um, it's one of my favorite movies. Um, I didn't see, so it came out in 2002 and I, I mean, I was pretty young in 2002. I think I was too young to see it. So I probably, I probably didn't see it until later, like 2006, 2007. And so what I remember seeing for the first time um, cause at the end, you know, they close and it's like the 1860s and there's that view of the New York city skyline. Um, and then it evolves into the 
modern well it evolves into 2001 and there's a, the world trade center there and i remember being like why what is this <laughs> like why is that there like um but that was just my own naivety and the, and the lack of context because i'm i can imagine that in 2002 um that scene would have been extremely powerful um and just you know a movie that is so embodies kind of um you know through like like i said like through this story of of like the immigrant story also ultimately representing like a what a new york story um and then connecting it to the to the modern day with everything that happened after september 11th um yeah, I can imagine that at the time people, for the audiences seeing that, like that was just a very profound image um, to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, one of my one of my favorite movies, maybe the best uh, Cameron Diaz performance ever, I would say. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, so in New York, um, the Five Points, like it's a real place, and um, I remember after seeing this movie when I was living in New York, I like I went I you know, researched where it was and went to go check this, check the place out and like see what's happening at the five points. And um, do you, do you know where it is now? A little bit, a little okay. bit. Uh, yeah. So it's in Chinatown. It's like this, it's, I mean, it used to be an intersection of these five streets that kind of made like a star. Uh, and it was kind of like this big square that you can see in the movie. Um, now it's not those, most of those streets aren't there anymore. Um, but some of them are. And, um, but there's like a park there and it's, it's part of Chinatown, which is kind of cool. Cause over, over time, like at the time of the movie, that, that was the Irish pop where the Irish people lived. And then I think the Germans came in, I think the Jewish people came in and then the Chinese people. So ever like the immigrants, like the, the biggest immigrant population at the time kind of all occupied the same territory and then just pushed, <laughs> pushed people out. Um, but now it's Chinatown. And if you go there, it's just this park and there are like, a bunch of old Chinese guys playing checkers and playing cards. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of cool. Like it's cause it's real. It's like real live. It's a real place. All that stuff really happened. Well, you know, it's a fiction story, but all the setting like really happened there and, and it's still a living, breathing place and part of, um, you know, part of our culture now Very awesome. and, and the way that it evolved. Yeah. Um, but, Oh, I did have a question for you, Brent. I was thinking about this today. The main character's name is Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. Do you know why? Hmm, that's a good question. I did not know why. I have a theory. I don't know the right answer, but <laughs> I was thinking. I was like ruminating on this this afternoon, and um, here's my theory: is that um, like so New York before the English took over was owned by the Danish and the Danish, the Dutch. Uh, it was owned by the Dutch, and they called it New Amsterdam, and I wonder, I, w I was kind of thinking maybe it was like a play on like, cause in the, in the movie, Amsterdam, the character is kind of like the immigrant. He represents the Irish people, the not, the non-native people and, and, and they're coming in and the nativists don't like him and they don't like his gang. And um, my theory is that it's kind of like a nod to like, he's the real New York. He's the, he's the immigrant. He's wow. the, like, he's the, he's, he represents what's new and changing and different. And um, so he's, he's kind of like more in line with like the heart of the city and, and the heart of America. Um, that might be a reach, but that's, Boy, what, I was, that's what I was thinking about today. 
that sounds like it's spot on. I didn't even I didn't even think about that. But yeah, I'm sure I'm sure it's exactly what that means, uh, because uh, you see a lot of uh, nods in movies to to different, you know, paying homage to other things. And I, I would imagine that you're right on point with that. Absolutely. Very there's cool. That's there's cool also uh, one thing I would need to say is that there is a bar uh, down in the financial district in Manhattan called the Dead Rabbit, which is the name of Amsterdam's gang. And oh wow, that's true. It's like <laughs> consistently been voted the best uh, Irish bar in America. Oh man, uh, I had an Irish coffee there once. It was pretty good. Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. Look at you putting a spin on things today. Hey. I totally, I totally forgot that I was usually the. The person that brought up those fun facts. That's awesome that you brought up the fun facts. That's really cool. <laughs> well, cool. Well, I understand that you have uh, an awesome selection. Would you mind sharing with us? Yes. Um, so my film is uh, directed by Martin Scorsese. Uh, it stars Leonardo DiCaprio as a young Irish man who infiltrates the ranks of a menacing gangster. No, it's not Gangs of New York. <laughs> it is a different film. <laughs> um, uh, my film uh, that I'm talking about is The Departed, um, which is directed by Martin Scorsese. And it came out in 2006, um, so about four years after Gangs of New York came out. Um, and it's a Boston story. And it takes you in, uh, into uh, the ranks of Boston's organized crime world. Um, and the marquee on this movie is insane. So just name drop for a second uh jack nicholson leonardo dicaprio matt damon alec baldwin martin sheen mark Wahlberg, and vera farmiga um this is just a star-studded cast and in fact so the film had a 90 million dollar budget and about half of that went to pay the actors salaries which is like an absurd ratio <laughs> for a movie uh, but it paid off um, this movie ended up winning best picture best director best film editing and best adapted screenplay at the academy awards that year so um, big film wow um the plot is uh fairly complicated <laughs> uh, but ultimately it's a story of identity um so it's set in boston and the massachusetts state police police are after Frank Costello, who's played by Jack Nicholson. He's a leader of the Irish mob in the city. And Frank Costello has an informant on the inside of the police department named Colin Sullivan, played by Matt Damon, who you know I already think is a rat. Um, but uh, Costello has groomed this character um, for that role since his childhood. Uh, the police department, specifically Captain Queenan, who's played by Martin Sheen, and then Sergeant Dignam, who's played very memorably by Mark Wahlberg, probably one of my favorite Mark Wahlberg performances. Um, also, he, they also have an informant of their own, uh, a police recruit named Billy Costigan, who's played by Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, they send him undercover into Frank Costello's gang. And the stress, as you can imagine, is a lot. Uh, so uh, Leo's character, Billy, goes to see a psychiatrist who's played by Vera Farmiga. Um, and she also happens to be dating Matt Damon's character. So so there's, I know that's a lot of weird overlaps, but it kind of creates like this mirror arrangement happening between the police department and the gang. Um, and then especially between uh, Matt Damon's characters Matt Damon and Leonardo DiCaprio's characters together. Um, meanwhile, they don't know 
um, nobody knows um, who's the mole on either side, but at the same time, um, Matt Damon and Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio are kind of uh, like, it's their number one priority to figure out who the other one is. And so they're just relentlessly trying to pursue the other's identities uh, throughout the, this process. So it's kind of a race uh, to figure each other out. Um, and as the police are pursuing, um, pursuing the gang, it just becomes more and more problematic that no one can trust anyone. Uh, so ultimately, uh, many lives are lost. <laughs> and um, I'm not going to spoil the ending for you specifically, but I will say that uh, it seems like uh, being a rat uh, doesn't seem to be worth the trouble in the end. Um, so yeah, the body count on this movie is actually, um, I think, 22 people in total died. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so um, it's a remake of a 2002 Hong Kong film, which is called Internal Affairs. Um, it's actually the only remake of a foreign film to win an Academy Award for Best Picture. Um, and it's also inspired by that movie, but then it's also loosely based on the shenanigans of the, the real Irish mafia in Boston. Uh, there's a gang called the Winter Hill Gang that kind of served as the inspiration for this movie. Um, and that gang, they were known for fixing horse races in the Northeast uh, for money, and then um, also shipping large amounts of weapons to the IRA over in Ireland. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, as I said, 22 of the characters died. Almost everyone dies. Uh, but somehow they actually did create a legitimate script uh, uh, for a sequel. Uh, I don't know what the plot is <laughs> exactly, uh, but ultimately that project got derailed um, because Martin Scorsese says, said he wasn't interested in, in doing it again. Really? Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you seen this movie, Brent? I have. It is, uh, it's one that I, anytime it comes on, I watch it, you know, and uh, it, it is uh, uh, a really good movie. Um, all of the uh, the actors in it, uh, I really enjoy uh, seeing them in any you know any film you can you can catch them in. Um, and uh, I remember when I when I first watched it, I kept getting Matt Damon's character and Leonardo DiCaprio's character confused, mm -hmm. right? And then uh, there's a there's a, and then each time I watch it. Uh, I forget which one kills the other one. And and it's like, I have to watch it again because I can't remember which mm -hmm. one killed the other one, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then Mark Wahlberg, man, I mean, what an amazing actor. Uh, if you feel like this was his, uh, one of his best performances, um, I have to recommend another movie that I don't know if you've seen that he's in. Oh yeah. It's called, I think it's called fear. Is that, oh, is that ring interesting. a bell? No, I've never seen it or heard I of it. I may have to, I may have to do some research on this. I, I, I seem to recall it's called Fear. And let's see. Yeah. 1996 thriller drama. And um, let's see. It actually has, uh, as far as the cast, um, Alyssa Milano, Mark, Mark Wahlberg, Reese Witherspoon, um what yeah yeah it's uh it's really uh and then also um yeah i mean i mean i'm telling you what this this is a, a really you got to see his performance in this one i think this is what um 
really gets him those those amazing uh you know roles yeah. is, is his performance in that um and i really like uh jack nicholson's uh character in this in this movie um and alec baldwin he's always good and uh so yeah great selection perfect for uh saint patrick's day um, excellent choice i will say um they said and when i was doing the research they said that um mark Wahlberg had the most na like his accent is so thick and it, like you like i almost need subtitles but they said he was the one who was like doing his most genuine accent <laughs> like that's how he really t if if he was left to his own devices that's how he would really talk uh which i thought was really funny Mm -hmm. um and then um you know i was saying that martin scorsese didn't want to do another movie um or a sequel um so jack nicholson is good really good in the performance but he said that one of the reasons he wanted to play this character is because it was like an embodiment of pure evil and he wanted to do that <laughs> um but martin scorsese said that because there was so much evil and death and deception um, that he said that he, it like totally drained him and that he, when he was done with it, he like didn't even want to do press for it because wow. it was, he was, ex he was just like worn out. And now he was like, I don't want to go back in that world again, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> which I can, I can understand. Like it's, it takes you to some dark places. Oh, um, man. Yeah. But okay. So one last thing though. For, so for St. Patrick's day, there's a, uh, a line um, in the movie where Colin, so uh, Matt Damon, he's having dinner with um, Vera Farmiga, Madeline, um, and he says, they're, ha they're having dinner, and he says, well, what Freud says about the Irish is that we're the only people impervious to psychoanalysis, um, which is a fu you know funny line, like it's a funny line for the date scene that they're on. Um, and there's a fact check of like the Freud um, Institute, um, you know, to say, did Freud ever really say this? Um, and they said, there's no evidence that Freud said this quote, the only related documentation seems to be from Anthony Burgess, who's a student of Freud. Um, and he says, um, one of Freud's follow followers split up human psychology into two categories, the Irish and the non-Irish. So. Wow. Yeah. You know, that, that, um, uh, that, that selection, it reminds me of, uh, Matt Damon's character in Goodwill Hunting, you mm. know, because he was very intellectual in his, in his, um, in his speech. And uh, by the way, I have to uh, do a shout out to uh, one of our coworkers real quick because he said that if I didn't mention one movie in this particular episode, that he would never listen to our podcast again. <laughs> so he knows who he is, and it's called The Luck of the Irish. Have you seen that? No. We may have to. We may have to. This is who's, um, who's in it. This. <clears throat> So this is brand. This is hot off the press information. I mean, right after, right before we got off work. Wait, uh, is was, this a Disney basketball movie? Uh, let's see. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Is it? Let's see here. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh okay. Yeah, I know exactly what we're talking about here. Okay, so I haven't seen this one, but um. This is one of uh, this. This uh, shout out goes to uh, he. He's known by B. Uh, I won't say his last name, but uh, uh, he's actually in Durham this week. Uh, 
Oh, I, I have no idea. Yeah, who is. Brian B. Um, you know who I'm talking about, right? Oh, no. There's a, <laughs> there's a couple guys named Brian. I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, okay. <laughs> B. Ford. You know who oh, B. Okay. Ford is, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, he was telling me um, that uh, that if, if if I didn't mention that, that he would never listen to our podcast again. Oh, so well, thanks for listening to B. Ford. Or the luck of the um, Irish, two thousand one. Well, we also had uh, Joe, who was on the show last time, uh, uh -huh. recommended Sing Street, uh, which I have seen and I do like, but I don't like it as much as these movies that I'm that were that I picked. So okay, Sing Street, it, but okay. it's modern. I like that it's it's set in the modern day, and it's I think it, it's a musical. It's good. It's entertaining. Yeah, musical. I thought for sure, Brent. Honestly. <laughs> I thought uh, was Leprechaun high on your list? Oh my like, goodness! You know <laughs> I what? Thought you might do that one. <laughs> I and, and you know what's interesting about that? And 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 I guess you know this. Jennifer Aniston is in that. Did you know, know that? I know she's in it, but I don't think I've I've seen clips of them. Like you know when uh -huh. they show movies. Like I guess I don't have cable anymore, but you know when they used to show movies like that on TBS or whatever, and you watch you know Saturday random Saturday afternoon, you catch a little bit. Right. But I've never seen it, and I've never seen it in its entirety. Which, hey, maybe we should do. Maybe we should do a bad horror movie episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I. Man, I've I, I've seen you know I, I saw that that was one pick for uh, you know St. Patrick's Day movies, and I was like, eh, I just don't think I could sit through it, you know. Um, but there's so many amazing St. Patrick's Day movies. In fact, um, I think it was last weekend. I must have watched, I think I texted you or something, and I was like, hey, listen, I've watched like four St. Patrick's Day movies back to back to back. I mean, I was like on this major St. Patrick's Day kick. Yeah. And and uh, I mean, there's so many good ones. There is. There is. And so we had to narrow down the search to find uh, what we thought would be our our uh, selection uh, or, you know, the the uh, the go to to get somebody excited. And um, so without delay, I would love to go into my second selection that best represents St. Patrick's Day. And this is a film called The Fugitive. Now, The Fugitive was based on a TV series from the 1960s, airing between 1963 and 1967. It starred David Jansen as physician Richard Kimball, who, much as in the film, is wrongly convicted of his wife's murder and escapes from custody after the train transporting him derails. The show lasted for a total of four seasons, with episodes featuring Kimball on the trail of the one-armed man attempting to rally famous lawyers to his cause and implicating himself in other criminal cases and facing the dilemma of helping others or doing nothing. As evidenced by its four seasons, each with 30 episodes, the show was a great success and featured guest stars such as Kurt Russell, uh, Leslie Nielsen, and Robert Duvall. While the rocky path for the show's film adaptation had many difficulties, it never strayed too far from the original winning formula. Now, production for the movie The Fugitive was infamously difficult. According to the producer Arnold Coppelson, developing the movie's screenplay was a lengthy process, which took about five years mm. and involved nine different writers pinning around 25 different drafts. Wow. And in one of the drafts, it was revealed that Tommy Lee Jones agent samuel gerard hired the one-armed man that killed dr richard kimball's wife mm -hmm. um and 
once the director Andrew Davis was attached and the filming began, uh, the process smoothed out. In fact, the film took 73 days to shoot. The film's post-production went far more smoothly than scheduled and the film's release date was pushed up to August. And part of what allowed filming to be so condensed once it eventually took off was that filming began before the script had even been completed. Can you imagine being an actor and having <laughs> to memorize your script the day of because stuff has changed? It just, it amazes me. Um, and um, another special shout out, just wanna say that um, my daughter Madison, who's nine, she actually auditioned for America's Got Talent mm. um, this past Saturday. And so um, she got all dressed up, got makeup on. It, it was a it was a Zoom meeting, and so we're supposed to get on there at two o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time. And they said, "Don't be late." In fact, they said, "Be there 15 minutes early." So we're sitting there waiting and waiting. And they said, "We're going to be on time." Well, guess what? Of course, they were late, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then there were probably 150 kids on there and they had all of these talent scouts probably 17 different talent scouts and we were instructed before um the the audition that madison had to uh, they had different age groups and in her age group she had to memorize a paragraph uh and it was about disney world it was kind of like an advertisement for disney world like dad's wearing mickey ears and mom's uh doing doing some techno dance and there was just kind of a little cute uh, thing mm -hmm. that she had to memorize and then she actually got a call back uh to the next day and they wanted her to uh, memorize a 30 second monologue and so um uh, the reason that this relates is because when i think about those actors and how they're able to memorize these things on such short notice um madison didn't have much notice to to find something online and memorize and then um it kind of uh but you know, it kind of turned her away from it a little bit, I think, because mm -hmm. she's more into the singing than she is into the acting. Mm -hmm. So it was like memorizing a monologue was just kind of going this acting direction and she was kind of wanting to go the singing direction. So, yeah. Yeah. But I just can't imagine. Pretty cool. Uh, yeah. And I mean, when I was growing up, I always wanted to be an actor, but it was so hard for me to memorize stuff. I mean, no matter how many times I would try over and over and over, it's like I couldn't get it exactly right. I couldn't get it verbatim. And so I think that's why um, I choose to use my voice. Uh, it's almost like I'm an actor because you still have scripts and and mm -hmm. I choose to do a career where we we have, uh, you know, certain things that we're supposed to say, but we're still supposed to be able to spin on a dime and adjust accordingly, just like you would if you were an actor on stage. So um, mm -hmm. this, uh, the job that we do is right up my alley and, mm -hmm. and so is the podcast. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, so with that being said, um, while it might sound mad to start shooting without knowing every detail, the film's half decade in development hell had at least contributed to solidifying the film's themes and characters, enough to begin principal photography. Andrew Davis's influence on speeding up production is hard to overstate. Harrison Ford was one of the first actors to sign on to the film, having been impressed by Davis's work in a movie called Under Siege, starring Steven Seagal and coincidentally, Tommy Lee Jones. One of the most iconic scenes from The Fugitive is the escape sequence where a freight train smashes into Fugitive Richard Kimball's transport bus. 
And since the movie was made far before CGI effects became the standard, and instead of using miniature models, the filmmakers simply placed a full-size bus in the path of an oncoming freight train. Oh, let, cool. Yeah, and they, <laughs> let, they let physics do the rest. The bus was nearly torn in half by the impact, and the train was made to derail after the collision, leaving nothing but mangled wrecks in its wake. This scene was captured by 13 cameras on the Great Smoky Mountains Railway west of Asheville, North Carolina. Cameras developed for combat use were shielded in steel boxes on the front of the runway locomotive and in Ford's seat on the bus where his character struggles to get through a broken window. The carnage left over from that collision can still be found in the Great Smoky Mountains. So maybe maybe you should take a train back to, to Michigan, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Resting away on the side of the tracks near where they were destroyed, the train still bears the logo of Illinois Southern. And the bus is still mocked up to look like a corrections transport. Now, the chase through the St. Patrick's Day parade was real in this movie. Rather than try to stage a fake one, Davis used Chicago's annual St. Patrick's Day parade as the setting for part of Kimball's and Gerard's cat and mouse game. Without rehearsal, Ford and Jones just went into the crowd and they did their thing with camera operators running around trying to keep up. Ford observed that since his character was keeping a low profile, it meant he himself didn't stand out much and lasted several minutes in the crowd before being recognized. The maze of tunnels leading to the dam in the movie, they were all fake. They were all built in a Chicago warehouse. And the last section of tunnel, the part that opens up over the dam, where Kimball and Gerard have their dramatic confrontation, was actually transported from Chicago to the Shiowa Dam in North Carolina, uh, where it was rigged to look like it belonged there. And for the big jump, there were no stuntmen involved. Ford himself, secured by a wire, did the shot where Kimball looks over the edge and considers jumping. And then dummies were used for the plunge itself. Six Harrison Ford look-alike dummies were commissioned, <laughs> costing somewhere between $7,000 up to $12,000 for each one. And unfortunately, the dummies did not survive the impact, much to the dismay of their manufacturer, who had been hoping to re-rent them. Right. Um, the filmmakers used a variety of techniques to lead the viewer through the story. They drop hints with color and lighting that viewers are not necessarily trained to consciously notice while they're watching and employ a gripping editing style that effectively supports the cat and mouse game that embroils the film's two main characters. In the opening scene of The Fugitive, the viewer is presented with a split introduction comprised of an overhead view of a city and that of a woman being murdered. In the latter, which is filmed in black and white, it is not known who the woman is, and due to the way the scene is shot, her attacker cannot be fully seen. Mm -hmm. The cinematic language used here, which are the methods utilized by filmmakers to communicate with the audience, indicates that the creators want the viewers to know that the woman is being brutalized and that the film is set in a city. And being that the crux of the story is a murder mystery, 
it is important that all that is seen of the attacker that early on is a shadowy figure. And the filmmakers reinforce the movie's theme by keeping the dignity or by keeping the identity of mm. the murderer unknown. In this scene, the movie manipulates both space and time in that it shows the audience what is happening in two different places. And in that, while the camera is panning over the city, the sounds of sirens is audible, which is presumed to be that of the first responders heading to the scene of the crime. With that, it is clear that the cityscape shot is happening after the murder. Another technique used by the film's creators is parallel editing, which shows the viewer what is going on with two different characters in two different places at different times. This technique is demonstrated during the scene in which Deputy U.S. Marshal Gerard, played by Tommy Lee Jones, is rounding up and instructing local police forces to find Dr. Richard Kimball, who is on the run after being convicted of murdering his wife and escaping a crash prison bus. The scene cuts back and forth from Gerard to Kimball as the former ponders the next step in the investigation and the latter continues to flee. Patterns develop as the movie progresses, such as in the way Kimball continues to show up in public places despite the highly publicized manhunt for him and remains just a step ahead of Gerard or manages to narrowly escape capture. These patterns are evidenced with scenes such as the meeting of the two in the damn tunnel, Kimball's appearance at the jail to speak to another inmate who may have helpful information for him, and multiple instances in which he strolls into hospitals. And so as far as the genre is concerned, The Fugitive is typically considered a thriller, but it can also be pegged as a bona fide action movie. The movie has all the makings of a thriller, and as it depicts a wrongfully accused hero, a murder mystery, a cat and mouse game between the protagonist and an authority figure, and a winding plot that has the hero piece together clues to prove his innocence, all while barely evading capture. The film is loaded with explosions, gunfights, helicopter chases, and other conventions that stream of the action genre. Thriller and action categorizations in film often go hand in hand, and a particular film can certainly fall under both. While movies in both genres use music to add to the viewing experience, the score in this film is almost consistently present and the mood of the music drives the action, warning the viewer of imminent surprise or danger. The filmmakers also use the tactic of inversion during the opening scene of the movie, essentially presenting a shot of the death of Kimball's wife in negative exposure, reversing the natural colors of the shot. This accomplishes the placement of a subconscious notion in the viewer's mind that the life is beginning to leave her body as the ghostly image is seen. While black and white filming is fairly common, uh, it's a fairly common method used by filmmakers in any genre, the use of inversion is a much rarer occurrence mm. and is meant to send an important message to the audience. Now, The Fugitive is well-written, superbly acted, action thriller that proves just how great those genres can be, strong performances from the main actors and supporting cast abound, the score subconsciously keeps the viewer on the edge of their seat, and the film acts as a social commentary in its underlying indictment of the supposedly infallible United States justice system, as well as the greed and power 
that are characteristics of large pharmaceutical companies. Mm -hmm. Overall, an amazing film to watch around St. Patrick's Day. And I understand, now, I, the last time I talked to you about this, you had not seen this movie. And then I found out that you are heading to Chicago this weekend, just in time to see the river turn green. Would you, uh, can you, can you confirm that? Have you not seen this movie? And if you will, tell <laughs> us about your plans to see the Windy City. Um, confirmed. I have not seen this movie yet, although you're, I'm intrigued now, especially by all the different um, film techniques and hearing about the script being rewritten so many times. Um, I was going to ask, did you, uh, you, this, this movie qualifies for this St. Patrick's Day episode because of the, the chase that happens during the St. Patrick's Day parade? Is that, exactly. Is that what I'm exactly. <laughs> okay. uh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. All right. Just checking. Um, <laughs> yes. So I am going to St. Pat, uh, to uh, Chicago this weekend for the St. Patrick's Day celebration. Um, very excited. Um, I've been to Chicago a couple times in my life. Live, I live in Michigan and grew up there. So I've been to Chicago a couple of times, but um, and actually there are a couple of guys in our office from Chicago who have given me good recommendations and tips. So I'm excited about that. Um, uh, but yeah, it's not like, I know, I know New York pretty well, but I, Chicago is kind of intimidating to me, honestly, cause I just, it's so unfamiliar to me. Um, I'm going with uh, my brother, my brother, um, his fiance and, and our cousin, and, um, we're just going to spend the weekend there, see the river turn green, um, hopefully hit up the parade and, um, you know, check out a couple bars, maybe get a hot dog or something. I don't know. Nice. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I, I was going to, right before the pandemic happened, uh, my parents came actually to New York to visit um, March 2020, and um, we I took the day off. We were going to go to the New York City uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade, um, but <laughs> everything, but it got canceled for the first time in I think 150 years, the whole, the, the entire duration of the time it's been going on, the first time it was ever canceled was 2020. My parents were there and um, we actually went, um, there's a bar on, I think it's on 79th street on the West side and it's called the Dublin house. And um, we were there owned by a really nice guy from Ireland named Mike. Um, he was giving out free shots of whiskey <laughs> on March 16th. Uh, and then New that was when New York shut everything down. March 16th at 8 p.m. He had to kick everybody out. Um, so yeah, so I'm, ex I'm really excited because it's kind of like uh, the evolution of, I was supposed to go to the New York City St. Patrick's Day Parade with my parents two years ago. And, and then I get to go to the um, Chicago St. Patrick's Day uh, with my brother and some other family members this year. So that's, that's kind of cool. Wow, that is that is really cool. You know, <clears throat> I have a kind of a similar uh, story. Um, it's not as uh, fantastic as New York and Chicago, but um, two years ago, um, we we were going to Hot Springs, Arkansas, and they were going to have a St. Patrick's Day parade there, and they had to cancel it because of COVID, right? And then we're actually going back uh, this Friday through Saturday. Uh, to, um, you know, just uh, kind of spend, stay the night, but then spend the day on Saturday kind of doing some fun stuff. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's, it just amazes me that, oh man, all of the things that have gone on in the past two years and such a, such a huge change for our industry as well mm -hmm. in our line of work, because I used to 
um, I used to be out in the field and, and walk in 50 businesses a day, meeting with business owners, meeting with employees, doing presentations, traveling, staying in hotels, not eating the right stuff. And now, you know, you look at, uh, you could only travel as far as you could drive back then. And so now to be licensed in all 50 states and to talk mm -hmm. to people about a product that can help them um, really uh, do a, a great justice to their loved ones, you know, not put yeah. them in a bind financially. Uh, we really have um, an amazing job uh, that, that helps people and I've always enjoyed helping people. And, and so, we haven't we haven't gotten our company to sponsor this, so Brent means everything he's saying, right? <laughs> and uh, well, moving right along. Wait, wait, wait. I do have a couple of follow up questions sure. about the movie because I haven't seen it. Um, and actually, what you just said is a great segue. Um, so, what I'm understanding of the research that I did is that life insurance actually plays a pretty important part in this the plot, right? Because the person who dies at the beginning. She had a pretty substantial life insurance policy on herself, which I, is that That's true? That's true. That's true. Which led to Harrison Ford's character. That was part of the circumstantial evidence that led to him being convicted falsely of her murder is because he was the beneficiary on this giant life insurance policy. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And who do they typically go to first, you know, when something goes awry, uh, you yeah. know. Crime of passion. Tough, tough deal for sure. <laughs> um, and um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm under so understand that um, Harrison Ford's character was accused of murder, convicted, and given the death penalty, right? That's true. Well, uh, sorry to get political. I don't like the death penalty, <laughs> but I was like, I was like, I can't believe they have the death penalty in Illinois. And I looked it up and they don't actually have the death penalty in Illinois anymore. It was overturned in 2011. Oh. Uh, so if this movie was to happen in the modern day, it would have to happen in some other state. Wow. Very so cool. There's yeah. my, there's my fun fact. Yeah. That's last question. Man, you just blown me away with all these fun facts. <laughs> I can't believe you, uh, man, you, you put definitely putting some butter on it in this episode. Hey. Great job. That's Thanks. awesome. For some reason, I think I, I just got so busy that I forgot to um, to do the, the fun facts. Usually, like I said earlier, I'm all about the fun facts. And uh, and I, I totally that totally skipped by me this time. But I'm so glad that you're bringing <laughs> up your 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 uh, your you're carrying uh, the weight. Uh, for us both by by bringing those awesome fun facts. That's awesome. And I understand that you have another amazing selection uh, that's a perfect movie to see, uh, not only for uh, for guys and gals, but all, but for, for couples in general, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, could have we could have done this one during the Valentine's Day. For, that's right. Did that's we do right. a Valentine's Day episode? Well, next yeah. year's Valentine's Day. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my movie is Far and Away, uh, which is from the year 1992. It's a romantic, um, I'll call it a dramedy. It's not really a comma, comedy or a drama. It's kind of in between. Um, and it's about these two Irish immigrants who are played by Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, um, who were married at the time. Um, so they're married for most of the 90s, which I always forget. Um, but uh, Tom Cruise plays a, a character named Joseph Donnelly. He's a farmer whose family for generations has worked the land owned by a guy named Daniel Christie and his ancestors. 
Um, and uh, at the be beginning of the movie, Joseph's father's dying words to him uh, were that Joseph needs to go and own land. Like that's how he's going to be somebody. Uh, he needs to go find find his own land. Uh, but at the time in Ireland in the 1890s, that was an impossible dream to have. Um, very few people owned land. Most people just worked the land, had kids, and died. Um, so uh, he just gets he gets this impo impossible task placed on him at the very beginning. Um, meanwhile, Daniel Christie, who owns all that land, his daughter Shannon, played by Nicole Kidman, um, she's plotting an escape uh, from her home. Um, so she's kind of like the, she's kind of like a little kind of like a princess spoiled kind of character, uh, but she wants out. She wants to go make her own way. She wants to come to America. She heard they're giving away land there. Um, so she's going to make her escape. And she actually asked Joseph to come with her um, working as her servant, uh, which kind of reinforces the class divisions that exist between them. Uh, but then when they arrive in America in Boston, um, she has these silver spoons that she's kind of counting on uh, to pave her way and, and pay for, for them to go pursue this dream um she has these spoons and they're immediate like they touch they touch the soil and like immediately they get stolen um so uh shannon and joseph they only have each other and kind of when that happens uh the symbolism of like their class division also just kind of dissipates of like it's just the two of them they're on their own they're equals and they need each other uh, so that's kind of uh i don't know a funny visual um but but also uh, very difficult circumstances are created for them. Um, so they pretend to be brother and sister. They end up sharing a room in a boarding house. They both get jobs. Um, I remember Shannon's job is that she's plucking chickens in a factory, <laughs> which is like, it's, it's, there's a lot of good physical comedy because she's like not used to doing any work and then she's got to go pluck chickens. Uh, so it's kind of funny. Um, and, um, so they're trying to save, and, but they're working together. They're trying to save so they can still fulfill their dream and, and move west and have their own land. Um, and then to make extra money, Joseph starts bare-knuckle boxing, and Shannon starts dancing burlesque, which Joseph does not like um, because the two have started to become attracted to each other. Surprise. Um, and then everything blows up when Joseph's actually in the middle of a fight. Um, he's boxing and he sees this man um, touching Shannon in a way that he does not like. Um, so during the fight, he's distracted. He ends up losing um, and it ends up getting both of them fired because the owner of the establishment is so angry at him for the money that he lost. So they both get kicked out. They end up getting robbed again. <laughs> they lose all their money um, that they have saved and they're homeless in the Boston winter. Um, and Joseph has literally just gotten the crap kicked out of him. Um, so, so discouraged. He ends up taking Shannon over to her parents who have also immigrated to America at that time. Um, and um, he just kind of gives up and he's like, I'm going to go work on the railroad. I give up. I can't like, I can't do this. Our dream is dead. Um, everything kind of seems lost. Um, uh, but then, uh, but then at the, kind of the last second, Joseph is like, I'm going to try to make this happen. And he ends up going to Oklahoma uh, where they're, you know, where they're giving away the land or what we now know is Oklahoma, I guess, um, for it's a real event that happened historically. It's called the Land Run of 1893. Um, so he goes there. He knows that Shannon and her family are going to be there. Um, and they end up seeing each other, reconciling. Um, declaring that they love each other. Um, super, it's a super dramatic interaction. Joseph falls off a horse. He almost dies. <laughs> um, uh, and they both 
they both um, say that, you know, they want this dream of owning land, but they don't want it without the other. Um, so they end up like picking up, they have a flag that they're supposed to stake in the ground to claim their land. Um, and then they end up doing that together. So they do get to, to share um, that dream um, that they have together and fulfill it. Um, and it's just like, it's so cute. <laughs> like, um, it's, it's a really simple film. Um, so, you know, it's just about follow, following your dreams um, and falling in love. And one thing I didn't mention is that it's directed by Ron Howard. So, you know, it's just, it's wholesome. Um, it's feel good. <laughs> and uh, you just feel like, you know, you can't, can't watch, walk out of the movie without a smile on your face. Um, it's also, yeah, I mean, like I said, Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise are married um, during the time of this being shot. So that's kind of like a cutesy element to it. Um, and they like, I don't, I don't know. Do you remember when they were married, Brent? Uh, you know, I don't know if you're into. I don't know how you are. You how much you are into <laughs> entertainment news, but <laughs> I feel like when I started being interested in that stuff, it was like around the time that they were getting divorced, and so mm -hmm. I don't really have any, like, I don't really have any memory. I wasn't ever in in on the story of them like being married or being in love, and so whenever I'm kind of reminded of them, I'm like, like that's weird. <laughs> they were ever married at all. <laughs> I remember they were uh, in Days of Thunder. I think that's when they met. Was in that in that particular movie, and um, I just remember there being, you know, just hearing a lot of things that uh, I guess Tom Cruise does wrong in his relationships. You know, um, <laughs> Days of Thunder was 1990, and um, let's see. Yeah, so they were in that, and then they did Eyes Wide Shut together. Which I right. Think out in, I think that was in 99. Okay. Um, I remember I that one. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen either of those. Um, that was, that was, and then, yeah, okay. Um, I'm trying to think of that one. Okay. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of those, but man, it's just such a long time ago. I mean, Days of Thunder, I was 15. Uh, you said the other one was what, 90, what year? 99. 99. That was the year I graduated college. Um, so I guess, so they were married, what, let's see, were they married for 14 years or let's see. I think they were married for like 11 years. And I, here's what I, here's what I remember um, from that time, um, which was like scandalous or interesting or whatever. Um, huh. So in, in California, if you're married to someone for over 10 years and then you f get divorced, um, then you, then you have to split everything 50, 50. That's right. Um, and so uh, apparently lots of people get get divorced after like nine and a half years. <laughs> so, wow. So, but Tom, but Tom Cruise divorced her after I think 11 years. So uh -huh. it was kind of like a thing. Like people were speculating about like why he did it and what happened in, in that year. And, um, so, you know, some people were saying like, he's a good, cause he, at the time, and I guess he probably still is now. His net worth was much higher than hers, um, so you know he would was taking a financial hit by doing doing it that way. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like th that was like a big scandal at the time. It's like why is why is he filing for divorce? Also, men aren't usually the ones who file for a divorce. <laughs> so Are they? like, um, I would I don't think so. I'd have to get the data, but hmm. I don't know. I feel like it's usually women that file for divorce. Do you feel the opposite? Maybe it's my bias. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I've never looked at the percentages of that. Uh, um, that's interesting, though. 
but that I don't know that I just remember that being a big topic on like you know entertainment news was after ten years it's like you're in it <laughs> yeah yeah you gotta get about half your stuff Ooh. yeah <laughs> and and those actors make a lot of money yeah you know I'm sure they're both know. I'm sure they're both got plenty so I'm right <laughs> right yeah it's so um, unfortunate to see oh go ahead oh sorry I didn't mean to cut you off no you're fine. Um, so I did have two complaints about this movie um, that I'll just be honest about. One is that the movie is two hours and 20 minutes, which I feel like is excessive. Like if, if a movie is going to be more than two hours, it needs to be like, needs to change my life. That's kind of how I feel. Um, although movie times are getting longer. I think I read that somewhere and it definitely feels like it's true. Maybe it's because we're home so much now. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then two, the other complaint is, you talked about your Irish accent, how, you know, you want to work on it a little bit earlier. Their Irish accents are so bad. Like, oh, wow. So bad. Like, I can't believe, like, I can't believe that they um, were allowed to do them like this. And I think they both had um, coaches um, helping them with this. Wow. Um, but, uh, and actually, so I was reading that in, in Ireland, this movie is kind of like an ironic, like cult classic because people, like they make fun of the accents so much about how bad they are, um, uh -huh. which, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I don't, I don't know why. I think it just at the time maybe wasn't that important. Um, well, you know, um, you're talking about the the accents. That reminds me of another uh, St. Patrick's Day movie that I thought about talking about, um, where I think Brad Pitt does an amazing job with his accent. Have you seen Snatch? Uh, yeah. It's, it's a 2000 movie. Yeah. Wow, man. I mean, just such an amazing, I don't know. I thought it was an amazing job. Yeah. Uh, in that, in that particular, but there's so many great St. Patrick's Day movies, you know, and <laughs> yeah. there was another one. Now there was another one that you said was very similar to Far and Away. You remember the name of that one that I told you that I, that I watched the other Leap day? Year. Leap Year. Yes. Okay. Leap Year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, Man, I I just I had so much fun watching those movies, um, and there's just such a great selection of movies for for St. Patrick's Day, and I actually I wanted to see um, I wanted to see Far and Away. That's one that I have not seen, um, and so I definitely need to uh, to check that one out for sure. Yeah. Um, oh wait, I have to I have to tell you about my mm -hmm. my favorite thing though about Fire mm -hmm. and Away is that so I like at the beginning of of this episode I kind of talked about like the Irish immigrant story and why I like why I like it why I feel connected to it, um, but I feel like this movie this story embodies that so well or it shows all these different phases of it because it's it shows them together at home in Ireland, it shows them as new immigrants in the city, like living the city life, trying to save up, trying to make something of themselves. Um, and then it shows them um, go, like going and, and getting their own land and, you know, kind of establishing themselves in their own right. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of times that's that like immigrant story, it happens over a period, like over several generations. Um, but I feel like this, it's kind of cool how it, how it goes through all those phases um, just in, in one movie um also like just so like there are uh there's a scene of them literally like going to claim land in oklahoma and i like i feel like that's a really untapped period of american history like there's not that many movies like there's not that many movies about westward expansion 
Um, I mean, I, there, I know there are some, um, but like literally that's like people, like this is a huge deal. They had, I think a hundred thousand people lined up at a starting line to go race, to go literally put a flag in the ground to claim land. Like that's amazing. <laughs> that's an amazing, that's a real thing that happened. Like that's that movie, the visual of that, like almost writes itself. Um, and so like um so so this real this uh it was called the land what is it called the land run of 1893 so that happened in the oklahoma territory and so the oklahoma sooners that's the mascot of the university of oklahoma right um do you do you know the story of what a sooner is no i don't oh really okay great so a sooner um, it's actually depicted in the movie, um, of far and away, um, uh, Shannon's parents are Sooners. Um, they're cheaters. They're people who during the land, the land grab, like people are supposed to be starting at, at the start at the starting line and then they go race to go claim the land. The Sooners, they went out sooner than the start. <laughs> and so they'd be like hiding in the wilderness and they would wait until the start this the pistol went off um and then they would wait a suitable amount of time and then come out from hiding and then put their put their flag in the ground to claim their land um basically literally by cheating so wow <laughs> um and so um so they're the sooners um it was a real thing that happened and um yeah it, it's it's kind of funny how oklahoma's carried that on so yeah sooner sooner means cheater that's what it means. oh my goodness i had no idea <laughs> Um, but all right, so here's my, here's my fun fact. So the, um, the, the land run of 1893, um, Ron Howard directed this movie, um, and he's from Oklahoma actually. Hmm. Um, and three of his four grandparents actually participated in this run of 1893 to claim oh, land wow. in Oklahoma. Isn't that cool? That is cool. Yeah, and so his parents grew up in Oklahoma, um, and I think he was born there, and then grew up in California. Um, it's kind of kind of a cool personal connection to his yeah. his, his personal history as well. Absolutely. Um, all right, and then remember in my in the last episode we talked about Jaws and John Williams. Uh huh. John Williams also did the music for Far and Away. Really. Yeah. So there's a lot of. I'm, I listened to the soundtrack a little bit this afternoon, um, but it, there it's just it's very beautiful. There's some Irish influence, um, but it's kind of like the 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 kind of tone is like beauty, frontier, <laughs> exploration, um, and um, so it's just yeah. And so he, you know he's done like we said in the last episode, like dozens of movies and dozens of major hit movies, um, but also this movie, Far and Away. Wow, yeah. amazing. All right. And then, you know, so before I go, like I said, it's not a perfect movie. Um, it actually has a 50% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, but uh, there is a lot, like, there's so much to love about this movie that I really feel like people should give it a chance. You can weigh in 50-50 chance you'll like it. Um, but I, I think it might be higher than that. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot to love here. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to, I'll have to check it out for sure. By the way, Tori, can you tell our viewers what to expect on the next episode of Pitching Popcorn? It's Oscar season, baby. So we're going to be talking about our picks, Brent and Tori's picks for the Oscars for 2022. 
I don't, um, but yes, uh, we love the movies and we love celebrating them. Yeah. So Brent and I are going to run through some of our some of our picks and predictions for um, some of the Oscar nominated films and awards that are going to be um, announced at the end of the month. So stay tuned. That'll be coming in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening to Pitchin' Popcorn with Brent and Tori. We'll see you next time.